Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday Lawn Gospel on this February the 22nd in the year of our Lord 2019. That means you can call me, Tom Baker, right now with a theological question, and I will attempt to answer it. A number in St. Louis is 821-0850, toll free anywhere in North America, 1-800-730-2727. After yesterday's long gospel with Wes Reimnitz, we were talking about how do you preach in this country in the midst of pluralism? Pluralism simply says that there is no difference between all of the religions. Each one has a different facet, but nobody is wrong, and no religion is superior to another. And we were making the point that no, Christianity is superior to other religions, because it says something that no other religion says. And I got home, went to my email, and I received an email from Dr. Matthew Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, talking about a new Commission on Theology and Church Relations report on the theology and practice of holy baptism. And I'm just going to read a section that he wrote. There is a broad misunderstanding among many of how one becomes a Christian, so deeply rooted in individuals, cultures, and religions is the idea that we have free will in spiritual matters and must thus participate in our salvation by doing something, even if merely making a decision for Jesus. But wherever man must do something to be saved, salvation is rendered uncertain because the human mind, will, and actions are always unstable, and such ideas are diametrically opposed to the cardinal teaching of the New Testament that salvation is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, verse 8. That the LCMS, that's Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, should in these gray and latter days be gifted with such clear and biblical teaching on baptism is cause for the humblest thanks and joy. And then he talks a little bit about baptism. Baptism, which corresponds to Noah's Ark, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was quoting 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Baptism is the appeal. And in baptism, we are saved and connected to Jesus and his resurrection. That's solid and repeated New Testament teaching. Now, if you were listening to the coffee hour just before this program, 
Uh, they interviewed a military chaplain. He was in the Navy. And at one time, he was working with individuals who really were proud of being in the Navy. And they would sometimes ask him, what's going to happen if I go out and I die? He said, and this was his message as a Lutheran military chaplain, you will go to heaven, but not because you were such a good soldier, but because you were baptized. You see, this underscores what President Harris said, that salvation is uncertain if we think that we have something to do with our becoming saved. That's why my favorite, and I've said this a million times, my favorite analogy God uses for becoming a member of his family is adoption. Because a baby does nothing to become adopted. It's always a decision on the part of parents-to-be. And so also, our salvation is a gift from God. So that's one of the most important things that we need to keep in mind, is Christianity is totally different and unique from every other religion in the world for one simple reason, that it gives an assurance of salvation not based on any work of a human being, but rather on the promises of God. All right. St. Louis, 821-0850. Toll free anywhere in North America, 1-800-730-2727. So right now we're going to go to the phone lines and talk with James. Hi, James. Hello, Pastor. How are you? Well, I, uh, what's the matter? You get up early today? <laughs> yes, Pastor. I'm up. Excellent. I'm up early today. Uh, we we want you to answer two questions and uh, take a look at uh, a Bible verse out of Zechariah chapter 7. Boy, so, did you know there's a New Testament? Well, yes, I do. I know that, Pastor. Well, well, you're always giving me Old Testament, then I got to go to the index and find where the book of... Well, Zechariah must be the last book because it's a Z. Well, it is the last of the uh, minor prophets, is it not? Well, you don't think Malachi (laughs) is a minor prophet? (laughs) Yes, he is. All right, what are your questions? These are my questions today, Pastor. Oh, by the way, uh, you just said Zechariah 7, a particular verse... Yes, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 11 and 12. Okay, go ahead. And and the question today is, does antinomianism render salvation uncertain? And is the message of grace, the second question, let me read this right, is the message of grace that God justifies the ungodly to sin boldly? Okay, I'll take a look at those. You're going to get off the air then too, aren't you? Yes. Okay. All right, let's go ahead with the uh, first question here. Let me read Zechariah 7, 11 to 12. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. 
They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. That, that's really a great verse, especially in dealing with law and gospel. Because what is saying is Zechariah had reminded his audience of their ancestors' refusal to obey and the consequences, therefore, of their sin. Now, when it talks about they became diamond hard, that's just a rare Hebrew word suggesting just how obstinately the Israelites resisted God's word. But what are they resisting? They're resisting the preaching of the law. I was just um, purchasing a book at Concordia Publishing House recently, and it was talking about uh, the law and the gospel. And in the law, it talked about God's three uses of the law, in the government to curb wickedness, in the church to accuse a person of being a sinner, and the third use is telling people who already are Christians what is the will of God. Now, What's interesting about that is the phrase antinomianism. This means, nomos is the word for law, anti against, etc. It means that people no longer have to listen to the law in the Bible because the Holy Spirit moves within them to say the things that are true. And that's why so many people are for homosexuality, abortion, and this kind of thing, even though the Bible is clearly saying those are sins. But they feel that the Holy Spirit is telling them it's no longer a sin. So when you follow antinomianism, when you decide, okay, this is a sin and this isn't a sin, not on the basis of the Bible, but on the basis of your feelings you will always be uncertain. Because every time I find one person, I'll find another person who has the opposite point of view on the basis of their feelings. There are some people who are for homosexuality, but they are against abortion. Now that's interesting. And that's because of their feelings, not because of the word of God. And in regard to the second question, is grace a kind of a justification so that gives us the freedom to sin. Well, God's grace gives us what we do not deserve, and that is the forgiveness of sins. So I like to think about that grace provides us a freedom from the law in the sense that when we do sin, we will not be held accountable by God. That's really kind of interesting, that accountability, therefore, is rendered to Jesus on the cross. He becomes accountable for us. And so I've often said, justice is getting what you deserve. You don't want that, God. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. So, yes, antinomianism will definitely put a person into uncertainty because they never can be sure that what their feelings are saying 
is what God has said in his holy word. Okay, let's go on down to the next person, and that's going to be Neil. Neil, are you on the air? Yes, Pastor Tom Baker. How can I help you? Oh, hey, it's really good to get have this opportunity. I do love the new Israel that believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I was wondering, why do you think the ancient Jewish Israelites, uh, some still do not accept or recognize Jesus Christ, you know, as Lord and Savior? It's the same reason whether you're a former Israelite or a Gentile or whatever, it's always the same reason. It's due to original sin where we think more highly of ourselves. It all began with Adam and Eve. Remember when the serpent came to them, he gave Eve and Adam a false lie. You will become like God. That's at the basis of all sin because there's no commandment you can break that doesn't break the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So... When we preach that Christ, and we dealt with that yesterday in this world of pluralism, that the Christian faith is a superior religion, they think we're bragging, and therefore they know people who are not Christians, and they seem to be fine people. So they examine what they believe about God by looking at their experience and their environment rather than the Holy Bible, and you will come up with a totally different kind of God as every other religion in the world shows. None of them have the unique characteristic of Christianity that there's nothing you can do to become saved. God does everything. So I would say it's primarily because of original sin that they have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I'll be listening to this again on uh, KFUO.org. Thank you, Pastor Tom Baker. Well, thank you very much for calling, Neil, and God bless. Good to talk to Neil. And then let's just go on down and talk to Randy. Randy, you're on the air. No, Sandy. Oh, Sandy, I'm sorry. Yes, sir, that is fine. No, Uh, no, it was spelled right. (laughs) I misread it. I've been called worse, okay? Uh, Anyway, I would like to bring uh, the topic of conversation to more contemporary uh, concerning the reemergence of the uh, abuse situations in the Roman Church. And I even heard Lindsey Graham on another radio station this morning talk about the Southern Baptist. Apparently, he's Southern Baptist dealing with these abuse situations. My question is, if you could answer how prevalent are these situations in our church body, LCMS, and are they dealt with only within the confines of uh, church law, so to, so to speak, uh, or civil penalties, or do the uh, perpetrators reemerge in leadership over other uh, congregations? Uh, not that they should be, um, I guess, excommunicated once repentance is truly there, but uh, could you uh, deal with some of the specifics of the outcomes of uh, these abuse situations in our own church body? Thank you. 
Okay, thank you very much for calling. I am not an expert in statistics in that area. I can say this, though. There's no doubt that even in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have had pastors who have misused their office either with uh, women or with children. In fact, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod is divided into 35 districts in the United States of America. And like, for example, I'm in the Missouri district. Others are in the Southern Illinois district, etc. And in that district, you can have up to, well, some of them have 300 plus congregations. And they're divided into circuits, uh, anywhere from 7 to 15 congregations. In the circuit of which I am a member, in the last 10 years, two pastors were removed from office because of sexual misconduct. So I don't know how many more. And when they're removed from office, they're first of all uh, taken out of the ministry. They can no longer receive a call. And I do know where there is fooling around with a little child or something, uh, the criminal resources are used. I don't know of anyone who gets away with this, as we're hearing more and more in the Roman Catholic Church. We've heard large number of percentages of priests who have these tendencies, and I can understand that because they're not allowed to become married. And Paul makes it real clear in the Bible that, boy, marriage is a way of stopping these illicit arrangements and relationships. But as to how many, it's pretty obvious when something like that happens because the congregational elders are told by the district president in each district that this person is being removed and the reasons. Sometimes it doesn't filter down to the congregation, but a congregation is like a small town. Everybody kind of knows what's going on, and that becomes really kind of important there. So we have very strict standards, and we're in the midst right now of the Methodist Church here in St. Louis And we're kind of looking at the big decision that they have to make because on the West Coast, and for some reason, the ocean coasts are always more liberal. That's true with Democrats and Republicans. It's true even within denominations. And the West Coast Methodists, a number of them who are homosexual, have married other ministers. And they conduct homosexual services, which is against the United Methodist doctrine. So we're going to see in a few days where this is going to come down. I personally believe it will not be adopted, namely homosexual practice. And we can thank the many Methodists coming from Africa and other places who are quite clear on the morality of the Bible. So it does happen also even in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but I don't know of anybody who ever got away with it, and one of the things that happens is they're removed from the ministry. So appreciate your call, Sandy. Let's go down the line again, and let's speak with Steve. Hi, Steve. You're on the air. Uh, Good morning. Um, 
also, I don't think it's right when people say your husband wasn't healed because you didn't have enough faith. But yes. at the same time, I'm confused because Jesus says a few times in the New Testament that uh, you were healed because of your faith. Yes. So I'm just confused by that, hoping you could discuss it. Yes. Okay. I'd be glad you want to stay on the line or? Either way. Okay, stay on the line in case you have another question. Okay. There's no doubt about it. When Jesus talks about faith, he's always referring to their belief that Jesus is the Messiah. When he goes to Nazareth, he's even surprised that he's unable to heal many people there because of their lack of faith. However, when we talk about faith healing or faith not healing, we're not talking about the faith. We're talking about God's decision. Nobody was more faithful to God the Father than Jesus Christ, and he ended up being crucified. The disciples and apostles were extremely faithful, and according to tradition, every one of them was martyred except for John, who had been exiled on the island of Patmos, where he wrote both the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. So, when we say that something happens because of faith, that occurs even when our prayers are not answered in the way that we want. Uh, maybe I am concerned about having a sore throat every year. For some reason, I didn't get one this year. When I do get a sore throat and it's difficult for me to talk, is that because that's a lack of faith? No. I still have faith that God is going to lead my ministry in a way that will still give the results that he wants. So faith works both ways because faith isn't a promise that I will be healed. Faith is a promise that God will never leave me nor forsake me, but he will answer my prayer. I'll give you one quick example. I had a flat tire coming to KFUO, and so I was able to get up into Walgreens where they normally have a taxi, and I said, I'll just get in the taxi and get over to KFUO in time. There was no taxi. Did that mean I had a lack of faith? Well, what happened, I was unable to get there, and they had to repeat a program, and I got a number of emails saying that, Though they did not realize it was a repeat program, it was one of the best that I had done from their point of view. And so my faith was still there that God was going to take care of the situation. So whether the illness goes away or whether it doesn't, faith still trusts in God to do, as Romans 8 says, work out all things according to my good. So. But that, that kind of sounds like it could be either or, God's decision or your faith that keeps you from being healed. No, my faith is I believe the promise that even if God doesn't heal me, he has a reason for it, and therefore I bow to that decision also. That's what faith so, means. 
So when he says your faith has healed you, does it kind of mean I healed you? Your Yes. I'm your faith. Yeah. I healed you. Yeah, you came to me. Remember the woman. All she did was touch his robe. Right. Right. And she was healed. And so that meant she didn't have faith hearing his words that she would be healed, but that he was the Christ, the Messiah, and that by even touching his robe, she would be healed. And that's what happened. So a lot of times when I'm praying for things, I know God has a decision. And so I don't know that he will answer the prayer. The way we want. I that's correct. I, I, I always know that he has the power to. I just never know if people decide to do it. I'm going to unfortunately have to leave. You can call next week, um, and we continue the conversation. I'm Tom Baker. The next Law and Gospel Monday, Transfiguration Sunday, coming up. God bless. Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.